0: Good day and welcome to the Cincy Slangin' Bearcat Basketball Podcast. I'm Coomer, joined as always by Hummer.
1: Hummer, what is up? Well, Coomer, I'm glad you asked. Today is, once again, a great day to be a Bearcat Basketball fan.
0: As always, you are 100% correct about that. Big week for Bearcat fans, Hummer, and we have a lot to get into this week. We are joined later by BearcatJournal.com's Brett Stein to talk all things Bearcat recruiting with a lot of focus on the upcoming 2020 class. Brett shared some great information that I know our audience is going to love hearing, and I can't wait for uh, everyone to get into it. Hummer, as has been dominating the airwaves across all of Cincinnati, across the Twitter sphere, it's time to talk about attendance for Bearcat football games. Is this something Is this something you have an opinion about?
1: First off, I think that if you are a UC Bearcat basketball fan and you're not listening to this podcast, you are the reason. you are the one that is at fault for the the success of the Bearcat basketball program. You need to you need to be listening and you need to be telling your friends about this. But yes, absolutely we have a, an opinion on that. Why wouldn't we? Uh, people like people been I think the, the major take is people are like I would say more like along the lines of the media are, are taking this this stance that it's the fans' fault that we need to act like a big time program in order to be a big time program, um, and that's that's all fine. I don't think attendance really matters in the grand scheme of things uh, as much as people make it out to be. But when we're talking about this, I want to I want to list to you ten programs, okay, and I want you to tell me where they're located, and I want you know, let's let figure out what a commonality is amongst these programs. So I'm going to go to the AP. Top 10 programs. And then there's some other ones in there too. We can, we can take us out. But where, where's LSU number one in the AP pool right now? Blue blood, blue blood as blue blood can get. LSU. Where, so are they, where are they located? I
0: didn't come prepared for a geography test. But all right. LSU, <laughs> we'll start there. Baton Rouge.
1: Boom. Alabama. Tuscaloosa. Boom. OSU. Columbus. Clemson. Couldn't tell you. Don't worry. It's in the middle of nowhere, South Carolina, North Carolina. No one even knows. Perfect. Penn State. Uh, gut reaction would be Happy Valley. I don't think that's the actual right answer. It's called State College, Pennsylvania. For a real geography lesson, that is halfway. Uh, not quite halfway. It's about three and a half hours outside of, of Philadelphia, maybe about two hours to the east of Pittsburgh. Okay. Thank you for embarrassing Florida. me.
0: Continue. Uh, Florida. Florida would be Gainesville.
1: Perfect. Oregon. I don't know this one. I just know they're in Oregon.
0: Oregon. Yeah. Eugene. Eugene, right?
1: Are they in Eugene? I think you're right. Okay. Keep but going. It's Oregon. What's in Oregon? Besides the, uh, the trailblazers, beautiful, trees. Uh, beautiful trees, uh, university of Georgia, Athens, Athens outside. It's, uh, if I had to take a guess probably about an hour, maybe more or so outside of Atlanta. Um, uh, is there a punchline? Is
0: there it. a punchline to this geography test?
1: Absolutely, Utah. Utah. They're not really blue blood, though, but they're not blue blood. Uh, Oklahoma, obviously. Oklahoma. Norman. Oh, we know. Norman, we Oklahoma. know. We, yeah, we
0: know. It's in Norman, Oklahoma.
1: What do all ten of those programs have in common? A lot of them. What is are... not in their states?
0: I got to be honest. Not a lot of people. Not a lot of people not... in those cities. Those are college towns
1: they're college towns but and they don't have professional nfl teams located in those cities most a lot of them don't have baseball located in those cities most of them do not have nba located in those cities they're only competing against themselves they have a monopoly on the sports attendance market if you want to go watch a football game and you live near or around athens georgia you're probably going to go to a University of Georgia game. It's a long drive for you to head over to Atlanta to go watch the Falcons. If you're an OSU fan, you're not driving down to Cincinnati to go watch the Bengals. You're not driving north to Cleveland to watch the Browns. You're going to the OSU game on Saturday. There's a a lack of competition for a lot of these schools. And so when we say, oh, we need to have we need to fill out a $40,000 stadium. I think there's a lot of competition fighting for our dollars as Cincinnatians. You do have the Bengals. Albeit they are terrible, but people still go. People bought their season tickets before they were 0 and 8. You have the Cincinnati Reds, which drain your pockets all year long. You have uh are they still in the are they US are they MLS now? The, the we, F, we do FCC? have an
0: M, we technically have an MLS team in Cincinnati.
1: <laughs> Sorry for the the FCC fans out there. Um I'm not a big, I'm self-admitted. I'm not a big, big follower of MLS. (laughs) They they were
0: promoted and they would have been relegated if such a thing existed here.
1: (laughs) But then they, and then we also have egg Xavier. Uh, But then lastly, the biggest competition, I think that everybody wants to blow over is that OSU dominates 50% of the Cincinnati market. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. I know it's uh, the whole
0: state of Ohio is behind that big monstrosity up in Columbus. And um, Ah. you're making a very interesting and I think valid point that there's there's just immense competition for attention, sports attention in the city of Cincinnati. And you're pairing that with the fact that the University of Cincinnati is not a blue blood football program. It's not a program where if USC, Florida State, Michigan State come looking for and asking for your coach frankly they're gonna get your coach that's just that's just the, that's just the truth of the matter it's uh we don't we aren't a university to my knowledge that's all in on creating the best possible football program that we can i i uh, love it when the football team's good <laughs> brian kelly when he had the program humming it was insanely fun and i would say the same for luke fickle now I want to I'll, Luke... I'll
1: challenge you on that. I do think the university is doing everything in their power to create the best program that we can. What we can do though isn't necessarily what USC can do. We right. play for right. New Year's Day bowl games. We're we're not playing for the football college football playoffs. Uh, I think you, you alluded not on this podcast but in talking before this. What what happened when we played a Blue Blood this year? <laughs> 42 nothing. What was that?
0: <laughs> 42 We didn't score?
1: Nothing. We
0: didn't score? <laughs> no, we came close a couple times. And look, I'll, ad- I'll admit it. Bearcat basketball is where my heart and mind are at all times. But yeah. I do get excited for the football team. I want to see them do well. It generates enthusiasm and energy for the school at large, which probably does trickle down to an extent to the basketball team. I just think, realistically speaking, it's not the the fans fault Six thousand unsold
1: tickets like okay yeah i don't you still had more fans at that game than any game that were at a brian kelly game
0: that's amazing right that's an amazing number so you also shared something interesting which was up until 2009 i think the highest recorded attendance uh in nippert stadium to that point was a high school football game saint xavier versus elder fact check us don't (laughs) fact check us but the point is fact check us. <laughs> <laughs> there's not a long, unbelievable history with the program. I know people want to see see the program take another step up. The fact remains though, we're in the American Athletic Conference. It's certainly outperforming expectations this season, but at the end of the day, if a top coach wants to compete for a national championship, wants to get in the college football playoff, they're going to go to a school like Michigan State, USC, Florida State any school, one of these power five conferences, it's just the truth of the matter. The compensation is better. The, the facilities are better. The recruiting capabilities are better. And there's not much the university of Cincinnati as currently constructed can do to prevent that from happening.
1: No, the, the attendance isn't the crux of the issue. And to blame the fans on it is, isn't in, in my mind is kind of insane. You know, we try to pretend Like, we're such a a great program. But in reality, who was talking about UC football in 2006? Who was out there covering that team in 2001? No one was getting that excited about UC football. I went to a game as a senior in high school in 2006 where the announced attendance was just over 1,000 people.
0: No, I, and you're making very valid points. At the same time, the folks who are talking about increasing attendance and selling out the stadium, what they're saying is, if we're going to make the leap to be at the next level of team and program, folks need to put their money where their mouth is and show up at the games. And I do believe there's some truth in that. I suppose I'm being much more of a realist, though, in that we're, we're talking—this is a very we We're new, just not going
1: to be that team. Right. And I'm okay with that. That's what, I guess Thank that's you. what I'm saying is I'm okay with UC football being good where it's at. Like it's good for the AAC. Being good in the AAC is not being good in the Big Ten. And that's not where we're going to be on a consistent basis because of our league. And nothing we can do about attendance is going to change that. The Power Five isn't even going to exist at, the, at this next round of conference realignments. So I think it's something uh, that why we focus on this in Cincinnati, why do we put ourselves on this like pedestal of being bigger than what we are? Well, it's bye week
0: fodder. The team didn't play this week. This was a good topic in terms of uh, local chatter about where we picked the, it up <laughs> about where the Bearcat football team should go. Again, we spent the first 10 minutes of this podcast discussing the UC football team. Let's move on. We've got a we great related, guest. So we we got to
1: tie it back. We got to tie it back to the base, to the basketball team. Look, basketball, guys, 200 tickets left, 500 tickets left at most at any game this season. Bearcat fans, you are doing your job. You are pumping up the basketball program. You're taking us to the next level. We're going to week two, baby.
0: And now for a great interview with Brett Stein. We are now joined by Brett Stein of BearcatJournal.com to discuss Bearcat Recruiting. We're right in the thick of the 2020 recruiting class. There have been several commits already, but there's also several prospects out there. There's plenty to be learned about, and uh, Brett is certainly an expert on the matter. Brett, thank you for joining us today.
2: No problem, guys. Usually I, I do my own, so it's nice to be a guest on someone else and let them do the heavy lifting, and I'll just come in, say my stuff, and, and get on my way.
0: Yeah, we, we really appreciate you joining today, Brett.
2: Before we kind of jump
0: into the recruiting side of things, do you mind giving us and the audience a quick rundown of, of your experience with the Bearcat program and covering it?
2: Sure. Um, I, I started back in the mid-2000s. Uh, the, the main team was still over at Rivals. Uh, 24-7 wasn't even around yet. And this was around the time you talked about uh, Kashmir Wright uh, Deion Dixon, uh, players like that. And I would go to some events, AAU events all over uh, Texas, Virginia, uh, Ohio, Pennsylvania. They have one in New Jersey as well. And I just started getting press passes. And I always liked the recruiting aspect of basketball. And, and Cincinnati is my favorite team because my dad's best friend uh, in college is from Dayton, Ohio. And we used to drive out there once a year. And the very first game I ever went to was a Cincinnati-Dayton game.
0: Oh, cool. So speaking of Cincinnati versus Dayton, do you have any insight into the uh, the the secret scrimmage that just occurred over the weekend?
2: I, I must have spent like two hours uh, texting people, calling people, and there's almost nothing out there yesterday. I, I think based on everything I've heard, which isn't much, they did about four 10 minute quarters Everyone I heard played, which doesn't tell me a whole lot, because there's only 10 guys that can play right now. Davenport and Trevor Moore are hurt, and Prince is out indefinitely. Right. So that leaves the 10 guys you know. So I think in that scenario, if everyone's playing, they're not doing like, they're just substituting guys in and out, and it's not like they're running a lot of set plays, things like that. Uh, I'd heard that it was really close, uh, ended in a tie kind of thing. Since then, he had a slight edge, from one one source I had. So not a, a lot that went out there. I heard the play wasn't all that pretty, pretty okay. low scoring, but no injuries. Uh, obviously, John Brandon and Anthony Grant go way back. Um, Brandon coached with him at VCU and at Alabama as an assistant, so they know each other well. They've got a, a pretty good roster. So I think these secret scrimmages are a good idea. Versus like a, a D three or a you know D twelve team you're going to play in an exhibition.
0: I thought it might have been, I thought it might have captured maybe the closeness of Grant and Brandon that it didn't actually leak because I've seen all over Twitter other secret scrimmages have leaked, and with the Bearcats you didn't get anything out there. It's honestly more of a a, a glorified practice I imagine, but it was it's still always nice to get some insights to the uh, to the game.
2: Yeah, and I think the the best part is you're you're playing against someone else that isn't your own team. They've been practicing against each other for months and months and you finally get to play against somebody else for a change. Right.
0: So you've you've covered it sounds like Bearcat recruiting dating back to basically the early, early Cronin years. Before we go into the specific players, can you maybe shed some light on what you've noticed so far being key differences between the recruiting styles of Mick Cronin? And the recruiting styles of John Brandon?
2: I would say since Brandon was so new and there was, you know, some immediate roster defections, you know, a lot of guys enter in the transfer portal. He did a really good job of getting good players on campus that were pretty highly recruited highly rated in the twenty twenty class. You know, you had Anthony Leal and Trey Galloway, you know, four star kids who ended up committed to Indiana, but but since then he made a push with those guys. He's bringing in a lot more unofficial visitors among underclassmen that I've seen. There's a lot of really, really good local talent in the city in the 21, 2022, and 2023 classes. And there's more of an emphasis towards offensive skill players, guys that have a different set of skills maybe than Cronin used to bring in. Not that he didn't bring in some very good players, but just a differing of styles there. And I just think since he's already embraced the grad transfer route, Uh, They're looking high and low for anyone that can help them, whether it's a couple of junior college kids that visited, you know, transfers, things like that. So I I think the early message I've heard from recruits and coaches and and, uh, parents that have visited – is that he's very detail-oriented. He's known for showing recruits and their parents clips from when he was at NKU, which i will be able to do with Cincinnati next year mm-hmm. in terms of offensive sets, how they'd fit in, utilizing the strength coach, Mike Rayfeld, who's a great resource, and just selling the program and the arena and the facilities, which is a, a lot to sell. That's good
0: to hear. So I think it sounds like one of the main differences might be the the profile of player being recruited. In the room, like in the room of meeting with players and parents and um, whoever else might be meeting with these coaches, do, do you have do you ever get inside information about kind of how different coaches approach those types of meetings with recruits? And are there are there early differences you're noticing in terms of what Cronin's discussing and what Brandon's discussing?
2: Uh, I'm not sure about the discussing part. I, I, I'm not as privy to stuff that Cronin that and his staff said. They didn't seem to have more than a couple of scholarships a year. And I've really only started covering the recruiting aspect again in the last year or so on the okay. basketball side. I took a sabbatical for a bit then started doing it again. And um, I'd say the biggest thing I've noticed in terms of how they approach uh, the players is they really want to emphasize the fact that the conference profile is, is getting raised. You know, Memphis brought in the number one class in the country last year. Houston's got commitments from two four star guards and a three star center. So I think the message of Brandon is his attention to detail. He wants players that can space the floor, he wants to utilize players that are very versatile. They can play different spots on offense and defense. And I, I think he's really fostering a, a sense of family and continuity within the program uh, from where he grew up and just his connections to this area. I think he's very opinionated on scheduling as well. You saw them add a couple of games for this coming season against teams like Vermont and Colgate. And not those aren't names that are gonna jump out at recruits and players. But when you think about the numbers and, and how the um, the net rankings work, those are two really quality opponents to add to the schedule. So I think what he's telling parents and players is it's a different era we've had a defensive minded tough program the last 30 years and i think he's gonna skew more towards offensive skill and trying to get higher percentages he's he's really good at effective field goal percentage and finding players good shots and put them in the best position to do a bit better on offense as maybe unlocking the key to breaking through in the ncaa tournament
1: I think it's funny you mention it that way, talking about how he brings up even analytics, not only in the um, actual players, but scheduling, too. I think that was one of his comments, was wanting to use analytics to find opponents that is going to increase our seeding at the end of the year. So it's, it, it, I think it's, it's interesting that you put it that way.
2: Yeah. I mean, there's a pretty famous story out there that when Mike Bone went over to his house and talked about um, him being the coach of Cincinnati, he had like a, a checklist in, in his drawer somewhere about how to improve the scheduling because Cincinnati, you know, they played pretty good out of conference teams, but some of the co- the preseason tournaments they were in weren't great. And they had a few too many games on the schedule against teams that were below 250 in the RPI and, and low in the net rankings. that that's not going to help you. So I think that's a definite, uh, a difference there. And one other thing I'll add is I, I had a coach tell me that he's like a mad scientist. Someone told me, um, a player, a, a guy I'm pretty close to, who's close to the program, said he's like in a lab somewhere in the back, like like Pinky in the brain, drawing up <laughs> scenarios to like get shots and looking at percentages and how things work. So I, I think he's a bit more closed off right now in terms of media access. Right. But he's only been on the job six months, so I think if, if the results on the court match what fans want, I don't think there's going to be an any an issue there. And you know, we'll, we'll kind of see. It's 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 great to have all this to talk about, but. You know, a game that counts hasn't played yet either. So I think uh, everyone's excited for the season to start, but they're kind of getting a bit ahead of themselves, too.
1: Yeah, I think we're also forgetting, too, that not only did he have a tall order coming into the to the new program because he did lose essentially half the roster and, and having to, to fill that up, but he's going to lose half the roster next year, too. Uh, you know, if we're running down the list of names of guys he's gonna lose, we're losing Trey Scott, we're losing the Cumberlands, we're losing John Cos, Sorella, and McNeil. So there's there's a tall order for what they're gonna have to replace next year. So I know you, you mentioned the three guys that we're, we're getting in that are committed. Uh, you know, do you wanna run through those guys real quick and then and then we can start heading on to some of the other guys that we're targeting?
2: Sure. Uh, I'll start with the guy who committed first, you know, Mike Saunders Jr., I've known his dad uh, quite a few years. They had a He's an an AAU coach. They have a a team G3 grind, and Blake Wesley plays for them. He's a pretty high-priority wing target for 2021. He's in South Bend, Indiana. And um, they had a player run through his AAU program a couple years ago named Kevin Easley, who played Indianapolis. And he went to Chattanooga, played a year there and transferred to TCU. And Cincinnati recruited him. He was kind of a tweener, 3-4, but could really shoot and score, but didn't really have a definitive position. And he transferred this past offseason, and I spoke to his dad a lot. And then when Mick ended up leaving, he didn't look at Cincinnati, but he he was probably going to visit UC at the very least if Mick had stayed. So I remember that his, uh, you know, the AAU coach was Mike Saunders Sr. And when when that all happened and they set up the official visit, you know, John Brandon's known the Saunders family for years and years. and, And Mike Jr. has been playing at NKU team camp since he was, you know, eighth grade. So he knows his game very well, super quick with the ball. He does need to improve his shot. There's no doubt about it, but he's a top 150 kid. Um, He's played really well in big tournaments. He had a great high school event last year where he got the best of Cole Anthony, who was a top five recruit in the 2019 class. He's a freshman in North Carolina. And I think the speed, the vision... And being a leader on the court, that's what you want out of your point guard and in the Brandon system, and that's what, what Mike uh, Jr. brings to the table there. And, and he plays at an elite prep school out in Utah. They've got about five or six guys going to Division One next year. One guy's going to Michigan State. Another guy's going to Utah. Uh, someone's going to BYU. So they, they've got a ton of talent out at Wasatch Academy, and he's coached by a very good friend uh, of the Saunders family, and, and they play a national schedule out there.
0: So I have a relationship with someone who's spent some time – Scouting in the NBA, and interesting enough, he he was spending time scouting Cole Anthony um, to do kind of a, do a write up for a team uh, on his behalf. And while doing so, he happened to come across the game where Cole Anthony was matched up against Mike Saunders Jr. And not that Mike Saunders is necessarily at the Cole Anthony level, but what jumped out at him was how elite the speed was, and so elite that it des- he decided to kind of do a, a write up of him. I've shared it on uh, on Twitter, actually, but a really interesting prospect because of he's not necessarily a finished product by any means, but he has that one elite skill that can likely help him uh, propel him to be a, an extremely productive college player. It seems like outside looking in.
2: I think also I would add he's very young for his grade. He doesn't turn eighteen until next summer, so he's going to play his entire senior season at seventeen. He's about six foot now. His dad's 6'3", and at at that age, he still has a lot of physical development to go. And he's been at Wasatch for two years now, so he kind of took the leap. A lot of guys go to prep school for one final year of high school, so he's been out there on his own for a couple of years, kind of the middle of nowhere. And I think the maturity level he shows, those are all really positive things. And when you talk about having a quarterback for your recruiting class in a, in a class that could have five or six players in it, you can't go wrong with a player like Mike who's, who's a winner, wants the lead, and has the elite speed, as you mentioned. And I think if he puts in the work, and I think he will, if he could just get his outside shot to be a little bit more consistent, he could be a really, really, really good player for Cincinnati.
0: Very exciting. So that, after Mike Saunders Jr. committed... Uh, we got a, a dual commitment after a weekend visit, I think during the UCLA football game, from Gabe Madsen and Mason Madsen. Can you tell us a little bit about them?
2: Well, I'll tell you a funny story first. Um, my brother's birthday was uh, is August 31st, so I'm, I am was on my way up uh, to his house in upstate New York. and. You know, uh, I started getting word that uh, they, they might be committing or their, their official visit was wrapping up. And I'm like, well, I'm, I'm driving in the car with my wife and two kids. You know, I don't have a computer with me. So usually I, I try and have a, a story ready to go. And, and if I have a good idea, it's going to happen. So we knew it was happening. And then they put it out there on Twitter. So that kind of the bad, the timing was really bad there. But, you know, I, I think the official visit for them really knocked it out of the park. Those two guys, they're brothers. Personality wise, they couldn't be more different. It's really funny. Um, so I spoke to both of them separately. And what they what they kind of told me was, they really wanted to go on the visit to really get a sense of spending more time, not just with the with the players, but with the coaches, because Brandon again talked about how he would utilize them. And he wanted to sit down and be like, okay, show me clips. You know, and Brandon, not just clips of what he did at NKU, he's got clips from AAU and talking about usage rate and all this other stuff. You can look at a lot more at AAU, even though some of the events are closed, you can get stats and look at things. And like you said, he's really analytical, mm-hmm. you know, sabermetric type of stuff. So that really uh, resonated and hit home. And I think, you know, Gabe's the higher rated player. You know, a wing that was really known as a shooter early in his career, really rounded at his game, can handle the ball, defend multiple positions, a lot of upside there. And he he's a shot maker, and you need that on the wing. Brandon wants to have as many three-point shooters on the floor as he can get, and, and Gabe can really really sling it from deep and, and get his own shot. Uh Mason at six-three, he's a combo. He could run the team a little bit. He could shoot. Really tough, hard-nosed kid, really likes to defend. He's always been lower rated of the two brothers, but I think he operates as if, you know, that it's like a me against the world mentality. And I think the way he plays, they both play for their dad. He coaches their high school team, coaches kids. You know, you got three recruits, all of them play for their dads and one way or the other. So you look at intelligence, positioning, playing hard, playing the game the right way, fundamentals, all three of those players have it. And I think Mason might take a little bit more time to get playing time. But having multiple ball handlers and Brandon emphasized to those two, you need four good guards to to win and advance in March. So you want as many good guards as you can get. And with 13 scholarships, not every player you get is going to play right away. You need to, you know, have balance there. So I think, uh, you know, Mason might take a bit more time to earn playing time and getting on the court. But he has the kind of personality and attitude that I think he'll be a, a great player. And uh, it, it might take him a bit longer, but I think he'll end up making an impact later in his career. So Gabe, I think I've read is
0: a wing, a true wing about six, six in terms of height. Is Mason the same size? Is he six, six or shorter?
2: Mason's about six, three. So that's why that combo guard role, you could have him play the one, play the two. So he was on the court. He was selling, you know, Brandon was talking about the bait, you know, to Mason, you know, Mike on his juniors committed, but you know, you got, you might, he might play behind Mike. He might play alongside Mike. He really emphasized that there's going to be multiple position lineups and, other ways to get on the court. So yeah, he's not as, he's not as tall, but I think he's a little he's a different kind of player too. He's more of a, a point guard combo, and Gabe's more of a true wing. So the, yeah, it seems like they came in as a package
0: deal, and Gabe is I think the highest rated recruit of the twenty twenty class so far, even higher than Mike Saunders Jr. at this point. My biggest question when the when we, when we got the commit from the two of them was is Mason Madsen someone that can grow into a contributing type player to the program or did he come along as sort of the, you know, the sweetener to getting Gabe to walk in the door? It it sounds like your belief is maybe as a, as a sophomore, junior, senior, you could see Mason turning into maybe like a ball handler, a, a secondary ball handler for the team. Is that how, is that, am I interpreting that correctly?
2: Yeah. I mean, you have, Micah Adams Woods, who's a freshman now, he's he's kind of a he's a point guard, a little bit of combo in him. Mike's a true point guard, and Mason's more of a combo too. But you know, Mike's about six foot right now. Micah Adams Woods is about six two, six three. Mason's about six three. So you could see combinations where two of the three of them are on the court at the same time. Mm -hmm. And I think with Mason, it's not so much that he, he can't play at this level. He had a slew of mid-major offers. Xavier offered later in the process. So when you have that many mid-major offers, I mean, this is a guy that could still play, but he has development ahead of him. You know, how quickly is he going to adjust to the, the change in size and athletic ability at this level? So it might take him a little bit more there. And then also just like you said, half the roster is going to turn over next year. So uh, I think uh, when the practice starts next year, they're just going to roll the ball out and be like, all right, the five guys who can play are going to start and you got to earn your minutes." So there's a lot of opportunity for anyone that commits to play next year.
0: I don't know how much you've had a chance to watch Gabe play at this point, but when we talk about uh, slinging it from deep, are we talking Jaron Cumberland type shooting or Javen Cumberland type shooting?
2: That's good a question. that's a tough one. That's a tough one there. Yeah, I mean, Gabe's got really clean mechanics. Um, he was more of a catch and shoot player his first couple years of high school. They used to live in Wisconsin, and I am talking to their dad, Luke Matson, who's a, who's a really good guy, and he was just telling me that when they lived in Wisconsin, that they didn't have uh, he didn't have the balance that he wanted. He was he's a school administrator as well, and he got so bogged down in that that he really felt like he was missing out on a lot with his kids. So they made the move to Minnesota. For that reason, and also to play against a better competition, um, they play in a they play for a Rochester Mayo, and they play a, a schedule. They have a guy. There's a guy who's going to be a he's a freshman at Duke this year. He's a big guy. I think he reclassified. He played in that league last year. So Minnesota's produced a sneaky amount of Division one talent. So they wanted to kind of go up and level a little bit. And with Gabe, you know, he steadily progressed and improved. He had offers from Iowa, Marquette, you know, half the Big Ten. So Gabe had legitimate offers. And a look at the overall rankings, once you get outside the top 30, 40 kids, it's just like, you know, what's your preference? It's like it's Coke or Pepsi or, you know, <laughs> what have you. So he can really play. He had the offers. Mason had slightly lower offers. But both of these kids can play, and they offer the kind of skill and shooting that Brandon likes to have uh, on his roster.
0: Yeah, and I didn't realize they were also coaches' sons. I mean, there's, a, it's a little bit of an anecdote or hyperbole, I should say, but that sometimes is accompanied by pretty high B-ball IQ, and so I think we can hopefully make the same sort of assumption for for Mike, Gabe, and Mason as well. Definitely. So those are the only three commits we have so far for 2020. We are. Uh, it looks like we have some pretty active leads. I'm gonna I'm gonna mention three, and if you want to expand beyond that, please feel free to. Uh, but I know we've had Tari Eason on campus, JJ Trainer on campus, and most recently we had Josh Ogundele. Uh, what can you tell us about how their recruitment has developed so far?
2: Yeah, I've spoken to Tari Eason, his mom, recently. Uh, you know, a couple weeks after their official visit, I spoke to Josh Ogundale uh, a few weeks ago for two articles before his visit, after he got offered and then after his official visit. And then I spoke with a lot of people around J.J. Trainer. He's a tough kid to get a hold of. And his his recruitment's gotten kind of uh, not crowded, but it, it, he's made so many visits to the same couple of schools. He's visited Louisville, I think. Four or five times in the last month. He's visited Cincinnati five or six times since the summer. Uh, official visits to both, officials to Western Kentucky, so he's really kind of split. I, I'll start with trainer. Everything I've heard is Cincinnati was in a great, great spot for a long time. Louisville was kind of being like, we might offer, we might offer, and then he took a visit. He has an offer from them from for a couple of weeks now and hasn't committed. They're kind of his hometown school. His dad was a McDonald's All-American and went to Louisville, um, but his high school coach played at Kentucky. So it's, it's or not his high school coach, excuse me, played at Louisville, but he's good friends with one of the assistants at Kentucky.
0: Oh, okay. okay. I don't
2: think, I don't think Kentucky's going to offer, but it seems like Cincinnati and Louisville are right there. Um, it's kind of a coin flip. I heard it he could go either way. He could decide he might sign early. You know, we're coming up on the early signing period. Mm-hmm. So uh, that, that could be figured out in the next couple of weeks. A uh, high upside kid. He's about six eight. He could grow a little bit more. He needs to add a lot of strength. But like Saunders Jr., he's also only 17. He's going to play his entire senior year at 17. He really needs a year in the weight room, and he might redshirt wherever he ends up. But the upside there is tremendous, really coordinated, fluid, can do a little bit inside and outside. And if you add 20 to 30 pounds of solid muscle and maintain the athleticism, you could be looking at a player as a top you know, 80 recruit, four-star kid, and there's a reason why Cincinnati and Louisville and a few others are, are kind of after him. He also has an offer from Xavier and a few other schools. Uh, Terry Eason's different. Um, he played last year at Federal Way High School with a guy, Jaden McDales, who was a McDonald's All-American. He's now at Washington. <clears throat> He's going back to Garfield High School, which is one of the best high schools in Seattle for basketball coached by former NBA player Brandon Roy, who started at Washington 15, 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. And he's ready to play now. He's he's about 6'8", 210, 215, really uh, athletic kid. A lot of upside there, a bit more higher floor, maybe lower ceiling than trainer in terms of athleticism. But outside the geographic footprint of where Cincinnati usually recruits, but they recruited him as hard as anybody. Colorado, USC are involved. I think UC might have a slight lead, but it's really tough to get information because I don't have many sources out in the West. Right. So he had a good official visit. He visited Colorado, USC, and then Cincinnati officially in that order. He was on campus for the uh, the game against UCF, which is a great atmosphere, great environment. So the coaches have done everything they can. They're still recruiting them hard. Uh, and I think they're in a, a good spot there. Uh, Josh uh, Ogundale is a center, 6'10, 6'11 originally from England very skilled uh, Iowa offered he got an offer from Rutgers earlier today Virginia Tech bite offer um, I think he was at Rhode Island again recently for a visit he visited them officially then Iowa and then Cincinnati he was on campus for the game against Tulsa so I'm not sure what his timeline is I've spoken to him a couple times nice kid a little more chatty than Eason is um, but he's left-handed. He he needs to get in a little bit better shape. He needs to get in the strength program and just kind of, you know, have Ray felt work his magic. Have you seen the pictures of McNeil and and Soroya and Vote and those guys? He's a, he's a wizard in there. So he he presents with offensive upside. He might need a little bit of time to kind of get acclimated to the speed he plays out at Worcester Prep in Massachusetts, which has really good prep schools in that area. But when Iowa offers a big kid, you know he can shoot a bit, you know he's pretty skilled. They don't bring in players that don't have those two skills in Iowa. True. By by the you can get a sense of who a player
0: is based on who else is offering him. In JJ Trainer's case, you know, looking at some of the schools recruiting him, Louisville, UC, Xavier. Is is it a condition of his recruiting that he be allowed to redshirt that first year? And is it strictly a situation of physical development? If he is still growing, he wants to make sure he's fully grown before, I guess, taking the court or or, or filling out. How does, is, is that how he's handling it with every school?
2: I've seen it said that he, he would prefer to redshirt. I'm not sure if it's a guarantee, because obviously for Cincinnati's case, you look at the power forward position and and Trey Scott is graduating. Well, he's already graduated, actually. He's, he's a fifth-year senior, though. Uh, you know, Prince, Prince Gillum Toyambe, his career is in jeopardy. You know, we don't know if he's going to play. Uh, you know, ever, I'm not sure if he's ever going to play again. He's definitely not going to play this year, and that's just such a unknown. Those are the two guys that were, you know, going to be power forwards, and they're both going to be gone. So could they take a player, if they think he might need a red shirt, it doesn't really help him for next year when they have a lot of minutes available. So I think it's a situation where he'd enroll whatever school he goes to, go through summer workouts and weightlifting and all that and see where he is and then kind of decide what the best situation is for him uh, going forward. So we've named three big men already.
0: And in Josh Agundala's case, my last question related to him would be, Is he does he have any sort of connection to Rob Banks? Because we, on this podcast have been trying to get to the bottom of the Rob Banks mystery for quite a while now. It seems like he kind of popped up out of nowhere, and he also has some England ties. So is there any connection there, or is that just pure coincidence?
2: Uh, no, actually, uh, they're very good friends. I, I asked him about that specifically. Rob Banks was his player host on his official visit to Cincinnati.
0: Wow, okay. John Brandon, right, Rob Galaxy Brain, four steps ahead.
1: <laughs> Rob, we need you to yeah. do your work.
2: He had some like D2 offers, Banks. I'm not sure how he ended up at Cincinnati, but the basketball playing community in England is not that big. Mm -hmm. So they're, you know, they're a year apart. So you think about any international teams they might've put together in England and Banks would have been on those. And and certainly uh, Agundale would have, and now Banks is here. You know, that can't hurt to have someone he's known for a long time. there talking about the coaches and what they tell him and how he's been. So that to have a walk-on, a freshman walk-on host a recruit as an, you know, for an official visit, I think that says a lot about how well they know somebody, and that's not going to hurt. I don't think it's going to be the determining factor by any stretch, but it can't hurt to have uh, you know back in Cincinnati if uh, a Agundale decides to end up a Bearcat. How many roster spots or how many scholarships for
0: 2020 do we have available, and do you have any sense of how many we're going to use in 2020?
2: You have three, three players committed, likely to sign the next couple of weeks when the early signing period starts. There's at least two more spots just for seniors and grad transfers. Scott, the Cumberlands, McNeil, and Soroya are five. Uh, depending on Prince's status, you know that could potentially offer a sixth scholarship, and I think the problem you run into there is Davenport's hurt. He's out until December. He might end up having a red shirt here. He did a prep year. Do you want to have a seven freshman year? So I think a grad transfer, a junior college player, especially up front, would make a lot of sense because the only front court players you have returning for sure next year, as of today, are vote for as who be a senior. DR will be a redshirt sophomore, a redshirt junior, excuse me. And then uh, is there anyone else? I'm, I'm trying to. I think i leave I feel like I'm leaving someone out. That that could be it. It for, would have been uh, it would have been Prince
0: and and Prince's status
2: yeah. is really up in the air at this point. Yeah. So if that's all you got, you need you need a lot more there. None of the players committed are power forwards or centers. So there's a lot of playing time to offer there and development. So I, I think in that case, if they can get, you know, Eason and, and Trainer or Agundale or some combination of, of two of those three, you'd feel pretty good. Uh, but, you know, you're relying on freshman, there's going to be some growing pains there. So you hope vote as a senior and DR as a fourth year player in the program will be able to kind of start and provide good minutes there until the younger players get, get up to up to speed in the college game. So I, I think for me, you'd probably use at least five of those spots, maybe a sit out transfer, someone transfers very early in this season, and then would be eligible for second back. Sab- next year that could make sense you know grad transfers sound great in theory but you know quality big men with one year left are a commodity and a, a lot of schools are gonna be looking for those players but if you have two literally two front court players returning next year you can sell some immediate playing time on a, on a team that's had a lot of recent success and historical success and is a perennial NCAA tournament team
0: and with grad transfers we really don't have a sense of who that's going to be until the end of the season basically
1: yeah exactly to say with those three that we're mentioning you know there's a lot that that we see uh you know names listed earl timberlake josh hall puff johnson or is there anybody else that you, you could see us targeting that's not a grad transfer are we pretty much going to be saving do you think we're going to save those two spots for for grad transfers
2: there's a couple of guys a couple of big men they're kicking the tires on. It's still in the very, very early process. Like I haven't really spoken to these players yet, but there's a couple of centers they're kind of looking at a little bit, a couple of power forwards they're doing some research on. Because I think if anything we've learned in, in today's day and age, it's hard to keep names quiet with everything on social media. But at the same time, recruitments can change so quickly. You had a guy who I thought was going to go to Louisville. Duke offers this player uh, Jamin Brakefield and the next day he commits the Duke and then Louisville's like, okay, X, y, and z have gone to different schools and and trainer's kind of the fourth or fifth guy on their list and now he has an offer right so if you're Brandon and staff, they've got some good players that they're right at the top for, but they might not land any of these kids. that's just the reality of recruiting. so you want to always have other guys kind of in the pipeline and and you want to see too some guys that, big men especially, as you know, they could take a bit longer to develop. They might not really show a whole lot on the court offensively until later in their career. And there's a reason why teams take projects and other players like that, because they need a bit more time to catch up. So I think from that standpoint, I'm not that worried. I'd like one to commit and sign early. That would be great. So we'll know soon enough that's going to happen. And if not, you keep recruiting these kids and then uh you know, have other other players that you're recruiting, and maybe bring the campus and monitor and see if those players make sense down the line.
1: So, if, if you had one, only one of those guys uh, that we've talked about, Trainer Eason, or I'm going to butcher this name. I don't know if you guys said it like three times. Ogundele. Yeah. Ogundele. Which one is your your prize? Which is the one that you say this is the one I won If we can only have one.
2: That's that's a tough question. Uh, if if it's just me picking, i probably pick Turi Eason. Uh, I think he's more ready to play uh, right away than the other two, perhaps. I think it'll be very interesting to, to get a player from the West Coast to Cincinnati, four-star kid, you know, that region. And I, I think that would really offer you the best opportunity to have someone to be able to play at power forward spot right away you know, 10, 15, whatever, you know, whatever about it is. And I think if you can pull him, it, it would send a message in recruiting circles saying they're not just going to focus on the region, which Brandon emphasized in his first press conference, but also that they can go out and grab a four-star kid from somewhere else. It's just like these circumstances come up and, uh, you know, Washington's not recruiting this kid and some other Pac-12 schoolers aren't really on him for some reason. And uh, if he could sneak in there and get him, I think he offers, a great recruiting story and the chance to, to contribute right away. Whereas trainer may need more time and uh, a goon might need more time too.
0: So speaking for some of the, the 2019 new guys, the freshmen that are coming in specifically, um, do you see based on what you've watched and what you've read, I guess about Zach Harvey, do you see him having an immediate role, a significant role in the team, given the talent?
2: I think he'll have a chance to play early because he can really, as a wing player, he can really, really pass the ball. And that sounds weird because he's he's a top 50 recruit and he could certainly shoot and score. But guys that can pass from the wing offer a lot of versatility because it isn't like you just need the point guard to get the ball and go. And if we, the one thing we know in, in the system, you know, Cumberland's going to have the opportunity to make plays and create for others. And I think Harvey kind of fits to a lesser degree right now in their careers, some of that ability he could shoot, he can get to the rim, but he also offers great passing ability. So I think early in the year it's going to be tough. They open at Ohio State. And for freshmen, that very first game, that kind of road environment might be tricky. So to have all the experienced players they have in the backcourt is really going to be helpful because Harvey and Mike Adams-Woods can take some time to get up to speed and have the game kind of come to them a bit more instead of it all flashing by them right away so fast earlier in their career and early in the season, Uh, I think Harvey's going to have the chance to earn more minutes as the season wears on and then just seeing where everything is because, you know, Moore's hurt, Davenport's hurt. You don't know how guys are going to kind of develop. Guys are going to have peaks and valleys during the season. And with so many new players, like you said earlier, how long is it going to take for them to kind of gel and find some cohesion there? So I think the opportunity will be there to earn minutes, but with with McNeil and Keith Williams and the Cumberland's, it's going to be hard to come by. If he's playing a lot, that means he's really showing Brandon and his staff uh, a lot in practice.
0: I was blown away. I mean, it's just a it's just midnight madness, or it's just Bearcat madness. It's one small twenty-minute scrimmage, but that was midnight the thing madness. That- get get it right. <laughs> I'm not trying to pay the NCAA. Um, Zach Harvey, I expected to kind of be a just a scorer, like give me the ball. I've, I've got the one on one skill. I can, I can score for myself. But what I found is in that, that brief 20 minutes, lots of driving and kicking and, and creating for others. Just not something I expected. And honestly, I saw the same type of creativity out of Micah Adams Woods that I didn't actually expect. I thought I was going to see more of a scoring guard. Anytime I hear combo guard, I always kind of think okay that just means they're a scoring guard with some playmaking ability but i thought micah adams woods also appeared to have really good instincts for for the point guard position is that something that you saw when when uh when when checking out micah adams woods tape
2: you know he's an interesting player i love lefty point guards he's i think he's got like a 6'6 wingspan very crafty kid he played at a really good prep school uh he's from syracuse new york originally he played at a at a prep school up in um i'm not sure if it was in upstate New york or somewhere it might have been in new hampshire for a bit and he played on an au team with samir torrance who was a cincinnati target of the former staff who's now enrolling early at marquette and he played with uh one other player whose name escapes me and he was a really really good player he's the kind of player where it might not be the kind of thing where he's going to ever put up huge stats, but he's the kind of player that I think that can help your team win a lot because he offers some outside shooting. He's very crafty getting to the rim, has point guard skills and has that wingspan. So you're talking about a guy, you know, you put him out there, at point guard and then Saunders, you know, one's got elite speed. One's got extreme length and smart, heady player. So I think it might take him a little bit of time. He, he was committed to Nebraska and Simon Nebraska before they fired Tim miles. And He had some other schools come after him, especially Minnesota. So these are, you know, he wasn't ranked super high. He was below 200, but he had some really good offers. So I I think for a guy like him, he's going to play with a chip on his shoulder as well. And, you know, he's going to play as many minutes as he can earn. You know, McNeil's been at, this will be his fifth school in five years. So it might be hard to unseat him a little bit. And I'm not sure how much Woods will play early, but he's the kind of player where you want to get him some experience. Because next year, you're going to have a true freshman point guard and Woods as your ball handlers.
0: Yeah, next year year's going to be something else. And uh, fortunately, we have the 2019-2020 season to enjoy. Uh, the team is loaded on the wings and backcourt, and as long as we can get some decent production from our big men, I think we're in for a great season. So unless Hummer has another question for you, Brett, the last thing I want to leave you with is we've got a 30-game schedule ahead of us, uh, not including any sort of conference tournament. What do you foresee our final record being?
2: Yeah, a lot of guys do you know, season uh, projections and predictions. I'm not really a big prediction guy. Um, I'll I'll say this. I think the conference is better in some ways. A couple of programs will take a step back. So I think if they can win 12 to 13 games in the conference, 12 and 6, 13 and 5, with Houston and Memphis, and also I think Temple's going to be pretty good. USF will be very good. I think Tulane's going to be a lot better. And ECU... They brought in like 12 new players next year, I think. No one knows what to expect from them. Yeah, but they can't be any worse because they still bring back a really good player in in Gardner who might have been the conference freshman of the year last year. So I think the bottom of the league will be a bit better. Um, And then with the non-conference schedule, you're talking some tough games there. So you're at Xavier, at Ohio State, Iowa Neutral, Chicago, Tennessee at home, UNLV, Colgate, uh drake i think is on the schedule as well so i don't think they can really lose you don't want to lose more than three games at in the non-conference and even then if it's at ohio state at xavier those those are going to be tough games but you'd like to you know have a marquee road win early in the year yeah. so uh i think the win 21 22 games I feel pretty good about that. I haven't dug into the every every part of the schedule with all the, the, the conference matchups, but I, I feel pretty safe that this team will win 20, 21 games. And if they can win a couple in the conference tournament, uh, I think that will be enough to get them in the NCAA tournament. And with a new staff and so many new faces, my hope is that the team starts to gel in January, February, and things come together to where they can make a, have a really good finishing kick and finish the season on a high note and, and break through and get to that second weekend.
0: That's what it's all about. I appreciate you indulging us, making the prediction, despite not being a prognosticator. I am hoping we outperform the number you just threw out there. Uh, Personally, I've got some pretty high expectations, given the type of returning talent and incoming talent we have. Uh, But, Brett. What was your number again? My number was 25. I've got it. I see a 25 win season.
2: I mean, that would be great. I'm not, I'm not saying that that can't happen. I, I just I, – I skew a little bit more on the uh, – because of the toughness of the non-conference schedule, I'm a little bit wary there. And, I mean, I, I hope this team proves me wrong, and you're right, and I'm wrong. I'd, 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 I'd be uh, more than happy if you were correct here. Well, we
1: we did already make plans for next year in Brooklyn. Uh, we're, we know we're going to be pre-gaming um, at Pig Beach Barbecue in Brooklyn. It's about seven blocks from the arena. Best barbecue in New York City. Uh, And then there's also a little brewery nearby called Three's Brewing. Um, So we hope hopefully get to see you there.
2: Yes, I'll 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 be there on one way or the other. I think the event is likely to be the Wednesday before Thanksgiving and the Friday, the day after Thanksgiving, so that works out well because usually my in-laws are in town, so I'd have some extra help with the kids to sneak away for those games. I'm not sure if I'm just going to go as a, a fan or try and get a press pass, but either way, uh, if you guys make it out there, we'll uh, make it a point to beat up. Great. Thanks again, Absolutely. Brett. Um, folks can find your
0: coverage and articles on BearcatJournal.com. Brett, thank you for joining the Cincy Slang and Bearcat Basketball Podcast.
2: I appreciate you having me, guys. Have a good night. Thank you. Thanks. You too. Thanks.
0: Homer, what an outstanding interview that was with Brett Stein. The guy is incredibly dialed into the recruiting scene. Again, thank you, Brett, for your time. We appreciate it. Please, if you're listening to the podcast and enjoy what you're hearing, go to iTunes, subscribe to the podcast, leave us a five-star review. We're also available on Spotify and Stitcher. We appreciate everyone's support to date on the podcast. Also, we're available on Twitter at Cincy is the handle. And if you have any questions or feedback that you want to email to us directly, Cincy at at gmail.com. Cincy at gmail.com is the email address. Hummer, we've reached the point of the podcast to dedicate it to a former Bearcat player. Who are we dedicating the podcast to today?
1: Luckily, because we own this podcast, I don't have to follow the rules. So I'm not going to today, because I thought there was a very great theme. I had a guy who got brought up in relevance to recruiting who may not see a single minute on the court this year if the Bearcats are not winning by 20-plus points. So I'm going to dedicate this to my man, Rob Banks. (laughs)
0: Rob Banks, current University of Cincinnati basketball player who has not played in a game at this point except for the Bearcat Madness scrimmage. Wow. However, (laughs) I like this because to me, the fact he's on this roster is John Brannon's version of Bob Huggins hiring Michael Beasley's AAU coach to sit on his bench at Kansas State. This is next-level recruiting (laughs) Madness by John Brannan. Rob Banks, welcome to the team. I hope your presence helps us land Josh Agundale and we dominate for years to come.
1: Rob Banks, Rob Banks, if you're listening to this, call us. We'd love to have you on the pod.
0: Absolutely. Rob Banks, cheers to you. Hummer's broken the rules and I'll allow it. This podcast is for Rob Banks.
2: Just Cheers. Cheers. Saucy. Raw sauce. Cheers. Uh, yo. Boom. Ah. The tingles. Ah. And the poop pop boom. Boom.
1: Boom. Ski up. you do done no you're done. you're done. I tell a man's not hot, man's not. I tell a man's not hot, never hot. The girl told me, take off the jacket. I said, babe, man's not hot, never hot.